Hey, welcome to Who Needs School with your host, Joe Vollard. Today, it's my privilege to interview a longtime colleague and very good friend, Paul Toda, who challenges our thinking about curriculum. Paul is a longtime English teacher. He created a course called Nature into Nexus, which he'll talk about. He's a longtime editor of the alumni magazine for St. Ignatius College Preparatory called Genesis Magazine. And he's an author. He co-authored a book about classes and curriculum called Charting a New Course, Reinventing High School Classes for the New Millennium. Here's my interview with Paul. Well, a warm welcome to my longtime friend uh, and colleague, Paul Toda. Thank you for joining the podcast, Paul, of Who Needs School. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Joe, and it's my pleasure to be here and, and see you again and, and work with you again. Well, I've been very much looking forward to this conversation. We've had it many, many times over a number of walks to Ocean Beach in San Francisco and back and just over uh, many years as a, as a colleague. And you know how much I respect all the work that you've done in your career. For Just for point of context, maybe you could take our audience through your educational experience. Sure, Joe. Well, in, in many ways, I'm a very local boy in that I grew up on 41st and Terrell in San Francisco, went to a Catholic grade school, St. Gabriel, one block away, went six blocks away to SI for four years, went to Santa Clara University, another Jesuit school, 50 miles to the south. I worked as a journalist for several years and then did my master's in creative writing while I worked at the Catholic Worker House in Redwood City and then did my, my teaching credential both at SF State. So you can draw a 50-mile uh, circle around my educational experience, though I will talk about a little later an experience in Italy that was, that was profound. And how would you describe it? Like, what was the, if you were to go to school in the class, what would it typically happen? Well, St. Gabriel's, I think, was the largest feeder school, Catholic feeder school in the west of the Mississippi. We had 150 first graders and 150 second graders and 153rd graders and so on. So I was in a room with 50 students and one poor young nun uh, who was who barely had any education in how to teach. And that was my experience at St. Gabriel's. It was a good experience, but nothing great. SI was a revelation to me in that I had male teachers for the first time and a band of brothers at an all-male school. But the education was was fairly standard. It was one guy in front of the students, all sitting in rows with a chalkboard, having the homework at night, coming in, listening to a lecture, taking notes, doing tests, very standard. Santa Clara University, similarly, uh, similar kind of education. You had Jesuit priests, you had lay people. But then we began to experiment a little bit. I, I had a class called the Black Experience in Religion. And the homework was to attend three different black churches in San Jose over the course of the semester. And boy, did that class affect me and move me and teach me so much about, about my neighbors, about people who were as loving and open and generous uh, with me as anyone I've ever met. After some time as a journalist and doing a few other things, I know you worked at the Catholic Worker House for a while, but came back to teach. And I think like a lot of us, you probably taught like you were taught but at some point in time, I know that changed. Can you speak to that at all and your evolution as a teacher? That's right, Joe. And so my first year at SI, I taught four freshman English courses and then one senior writing for college course. And I was pretty much handed the curriculum, told the book to teach, taught it much the way I was taught. And then after about 
oh gosh, 15 years of teaching that way, especially correcting papers on the weekends and at nights. I just, I remember one Monday feeling so dead, so down, so tired of correcting papers and just teaching again the same way. And I, I imagined what would be my ideal course. If I, had to, if I had a job, what would it be? And I thought, well, the ideal job is walking on the beach writing poetry. Hmm. But, you know, IBM was not hiring beach-wandering poets that day. But then I said, even that, that's not the perfect job. The perfect job is wandering the beach writing poetry with my, one of my best friends, Brian McCaffrey, my classmate from SI, by my side, who's a phenomenal ornithologist, great biologist, because my poetry is better the more I know about nature. And I said, that's not even the best best job to have. The best job is to walk the beach writing poetry with Brian and maybe have a handful of students so you can share the experience with them. And even that wasn't the best job because I wanted a priest to come along too, to make it a prayerful experience as well as an educational one. And then I realized I I, I work at a school about a mile from the ocean with priests, with biology teachers, with students. It's, it doesn't take a, a lot of work to make this course happen. And thus began a course that I called Nature Nexus. I first started it with Jim McGarry, a good friend of mine who lives here in Pacifica now, teaches at St. Francis. Later taught it with Chad Evans. We brought Brian McCaffrey in to you teach. You got teach. Brian down. I got him back in for the very first year of the course. He was a ornithologist working for the Fish and Wildlife Service up in uh, Bethel, Alaska. We flew him down twice for the course. And then later, after I after I stopped teaching, Krista Moraine took the course over, and now Chad is teaching it again. So it's gone through various evolutions, and it was a phenomenal course. And it eventually turned into a course that I like to say ultimately was a class on how to live well and how to save the world. We, we told students at the, at the start of the course if you want to get an A, it's really easy. You just have to do two things. You have to become a saint and you have to save the world. And if you do, and if you do one of those two, you get a B. <laughs> Explore that a little bit because this is central. Because the, the pivot, it sounds like, Paul, the pivot for you was to go from teaching a curriculum of information to providing an experience. And as a teacher, with this course that you created from scratch, how did you go about designing that? Well, I have Chad, I have to thank him for his innovation. And number one, the great experience of team teaching a course with someone. You're in the room the whole time together. You're constantly looking at what works, what doesn't work, and revamping the curriculum. And that's key to anything, to the future of education is constant iteration and reiteration. But we came up with the idea that the units should be based on the practical things like food and water and dystopia, the ways we poison our planet, and also our ecological heroes. So we, we formed these units and we created field trips to sewage treatment centers, to Hetch Hetchy, to rivers and lakes, especially around the water unit. We had a food unit. We went to farmers markets and interviewed the vendors asked them where they were growing. We had potluck lunches. We asked students to bake organic food and bring it in. And we explored the ways we provide food to hungry people and the problems that we create in doing so and the solutions that we can have as a result. So it became a, a 
course where at least one day a week we were out on a field trip. We had a lot of experts come in. We watched a lot of movies and we did a lot of things. Every there were, It was a, definitely a project-based learning course. Yeah. And again, it became a course in the experience of understanding the problems that, that we were creating and coming up with solutions for those problems. In fact, I think I was with you a couple of times when you were replacing non-native plants out at Land's End, the end of That's the, right. San Francisco by the cliff house there. Right? Yep, yep, yeah. yeah. And and all of us in San Francisco are non-natives ourselves, but uh, <laughs> we, we, we know the value of native plants for a native ecosystem. <laughs> One of the things, having been in development for about 15 years now, we hear from alums all the time. And that course is one we hear about time and time again. And I know you get reconnected with students who were so impacted by that. And it strikes me that the things that students talk about that lasts from their high school experience, at least at St. Ignatius, are things that were experiences. They They rarely talk about sitting in a classroom. It's typically about something an experience outside the classroom. And then it's somehow that there's some sense made out of it. There's some sense making and uh, that leads to some deeper learning and, and perhaps to some action. And that, that's, that seems to, talking to alums seems to be the experience they had with that course and in the things that they chose to do later in life. It's quite an impact. Well, thank you, Joe. It was a, it was a joy to teach. Now, I know you kind of took that concept of the class you designed and then worked with Eric Castro, another uh, teacher at St. Ignatius, a social science teacher, on exploring how other teachers are doing that and put it into a book. And if you wouldn't mind talking about that, your book, Charting a New Course, Reinventing High School Classes for the New Millennium. Absolutely. So number one, I had the pleasure of being Eric's teacher. He's class of uh, 92 from SI, the last all-male class. And then he joined SI in the faculty and became our educational technologist. Helped us. He helped us make the move to the one-to-one iPad program. And I started this book project thinking that I was going to write a book about Nature Nexus, about this one course that I had taught. And then I realized that other people around the country probably have had created similar courses, obviously different, but that involved three things. They involved interdisciplinary curricula, they involved hands-on experiential learning, and they involved solving real-world problems. And I know I work better with a partner, with Chad, with Brian, and so on, and with Jim McGarry. So I invited Eric to be a co-author with me in this book. And he was more than a co-author. He was really a great collaborator in helping shape the direction of this book. And so I think I sprung it on him day one of the class in the year 2014. And, and he said, why are you bringing this to me now? Why, why didn't you happen to start a summer? But it's the way I work. And we spent two years interviewing teachers around the country, I think 33 teachers in a variety of disciplines. And we found a publisher, InfoAge. The book came out in 2018. And it has some inspiring stories of great educators who have pushed the uh, boundaries and have redefined what can happen in a classroom. The, the book inspires me, and I hope it inspires others. As a educational visionary, what do you see some of the, are some of the constraints that we have as educators? What are some of the boundaries to providing a, a real authentic educational experience that best prepares students for 
not just for college, but obviously, but for life and and really being uh, good stewards of our planet? Well, the biggest constraint, it's going to sound a little funny. The biggest constraint is success or at least perceived success. If a high school gets kids into Stanford and Harvard and Yale and Brown and Columbia, then we perceive that as success. And we ask ourselves, why should we change if our students are doing well, if they're going in, if they're getting into great colleges? That charged $70,000 plus a year, by the way, right? Oh, <laughs> and, and rising. And so if you look at the state of the world, I would not say that what we're doing is working or succeeding. The world is, is getting hotter. There's less and less available drinking water. There's, our food systems are falling apart. Our refugees are massing at borders all around the world. As, as William Butler Yeats wrote, the center is not holding. Things fall apart. And we might be getting kids into good colleges, but we're not creating sustainable systems that are making people healthy. We have, we, Civil War sort of ended slavery, but ironically, there are more slaves alive today than ever before in human history. I think it's over 30 million. How are our economic systems creating turmoil, creating injustice? How are our food systems making the planet unhealthy and making us unhealthy? The world is not doing well. And I would argue that part of that reason is that the schools are teaching the wrong things in the wrong way. Have you read Pope Francis's uh, latest book called Dare to Dream? No, I have not. I'll send it to you. And, and the reason why I mention it, it's a, actually a, a very unusual piece from a pope, but he talks about financial systems and the importance of financial systems providing access to food and security and land to the poor. And, that, and we can do this. And he, what he did on his finance council to help address this worldwide is he hired a number of female economists because he says that the women in our society have carried the burden of feeding the children and they understand the importance of access to, to food and to water and to secure living. I'll, I'll send it to you. Thank you, Joe. And in developing nations, they're the ones who walk three hours to clean water right. and three hours back Right, every um, day. My daughter worked for a company called Charity Water for a while, and their mission is to provide access to clean water in developing countries. And they, they've done that to millions of people. It's been very successful. What would you see if you could create the uh, school or a system that can really help achieve those goals? What, what would you do? What changes would you make? Thanks, Joe. Well, number one is I would ask teachers to educate themselves, to explore alternative curricula and alternative teaching styles beyond what they know. And they'd have to do that in collaboration with the administration. There'd have to be opportunities to do that beyond traditional professional development courses. So you ha teachers have to know what's out there and they have to choose wisely. I think we have to turn education on its head. We shouldn't be asking what we should be teaching or what students should be learning. We need to ask instead what the world needs and then work backwards. The world needs problem solvers. It needs healthy, happy people who know how to interact in ways that enrich us all as well as the planet. Administrators need to have the courage to try and fail, just as we ask students to do. 
They should have the courage to create new interdisciplinary courses by asking teachers to dream big and imagine the courses they wish they had as students. Eric and I interviewed Andy Shaw at the Bay School, phenomenal administrator. He's no longer there. And he asked teachers to pair up and teach interdisciplinary courses. And Andy says that he made one mistake. He didn't move far enough and he didn't move fast enough. He said Hmm. these courses were so successful, he should have done more. And then lastly, I'd say teachers need to work in teams. They They have to have the willingness to look at each other, have people look at them and iterate and reiterate along the lines of design thinking to understand that curriculum constantly needs to be evolving. The world is not the same every day. And as the world changes, our curriculum needs to change as well. You, so um, that, that, that's kind yeah. of a, a broad picture of how you start. In terms of how schools should look, I would argue that there's no one way they should look. Yeah. Schools need to look differently uh, every year, and they need to look differently in the context of where they are. One of the in one of our conversations on this topic over the years, you mused about creating a course called Water, and that's has a seed that's been uh, set with me and has has been nurtured. It's a fascinating concept. When you stop and think about water, how could you teach a course on water? Well, imagine Joe the courses we have right now at SI at almost every high school. I liken the names of those courses to the tools that carpenters use when they build a house. We teach English, we teach math, we teach science. When you build a house, you use a hammer and a saw and screwdrivers and nails. What, what, what we teach ultimately are the tools. And when you build a house, when a carpenter, when he or she is learning how to build a house, they don't take a course called the hammer. They don't take a course called the saw. They don't study the tools. They, they learn how to use the tools in the context of building something useful and beautiful. So I think we need to think about calculus is a wonderful thing. English literature is a great thing. But I don't think we need to teach courses along those lines. Again, you don't teach the hammer. What you do is you have to figure out what students, what you want students to create and what, pro- what problems you want them to solve. And let's take water, for example. So water is not a tool. Water is something we need to live. And I love that Mark Twain line about in in the West, whiskey is for drinking and water is for fighting over. Uh, (laughs) The history, you you understand the history of California, understand water, right? Absolutely. And you got to look at all the competing interests that use water. You got farmers, you have, you have fisher uh, people who, who fish in the Delta, you have the cities that that drain water and, and use it for for drinking and bathing. Now imagine all the all the disciplines that touch upon water, from history, in terms of the, again the history of water use and water rights in the state, politics, art, economics, literature, chemistry, and biology. Imagine a course where you start by asking students to imagine all the problems and list all the problems associated with water. We have metric tons of plastics in the oceans and in our rivers and lakes. How can we remove that plastic safely without destroying the plankton, the phytoplankton and and the zooplankton in the water systems? How can we purify water in places that need clean water close by? How can we manage competing interests in water resources? 
How do we deliver clean water efficiently to people's homes? How do we balance the sale of water to companies like Coca-Cola, again, with the needs of communities that depend on that water? How do we create systems that capture rainwater or replenish our aquifers or create new ways to recycle and reuse water? Should we be flushing our toilets with clean drinking water or with gray water? Or should we, we be using compostable, waterless toilets? Should we decommission dams to allow ecosystems to return to their natural states? Or should we build more dams? Imagine presenting high school students with these challenges. A teacher's job, then, is not necessarily to teach a set curriculum, but to let the students go, to give them a challenge, and to advise them, be the guide on the side, and to give them access to professional guides, people in industry who are working on these problems and solutions right now, and then watch them as they come up with their own projects and their own solutions and their own inventions. Paul, that's that's a great insight. And certainly provides some fodder for us to really think about. As you advise or, or look ahead, aside from the book that you and Eric wrote, anything that you'd recommend that people read or watch to better understand where we might head with this? There's a wonderful educator, Zoe Wheel, who's out in New York State and who has some phenomenal books. Her book, The World Becomes... What We Teach, Educating a Generation of Solutionaries, is a phenomenal book, and I recommend it highly. If you look around, you'll find more and more books that go beyond project-based learning, that talk about a reformation of curriculum from the ground up. It just it, What I'm talking about is not just add a project or two to a traditional course. It's rethink the whole curriculum. What is it we teach? What is it we should be teaching, and how should we be teaching it? Yeah, and there, that's if we don't think that's happening, if not around the edges, deeper than that, then I think we're going to be surprised when we see a very diverse educational landscape in the not too distant future. And it it uh, behooves us to to think about how we can do that, especially you know we have taught in a Jesuit Catholic school. How can we do? that kind of teaching with the charism that we come from, right? Well, Paul, it has been a great pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate the time, the insight as always, and we'll get you back on here to keep exploring these conversations. Thank you so much. Joe, it's been my absolute pleasure. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you have any suggestions for topics or speakers, please feel free to reach out to me at joevollert at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm trying to do this about once a week, working on getting a regular cadence. So look forward to keeping in contact with you. Thank you.